Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Ask Box, a podcast about the good old days of Tumblr. I'm Allegra Rosenberg. My Tumblr once had over 5,000 followers, and today I'll be speaking with my friend Peyton Thomas, a Toronto-based writer and journalist, about their experience in Tumblr's early Glee fandom. The Ask Box is now available to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can give us a follow on Twitter at The Ask Box as well. Tumblr podcast. I have my good friend Peyton, uh, and we're going to talk about Tumblr, of course. We're also specifically going to talk about uh, the Glee fandom on Tumblr as it existed in what one might consider its prime. Yeah. Um, so, Peyton, um, I guess you just introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, I'm Peyton Thomas. I'm a freelance journalist slash video game writer slash novelist. Um, do a whole bunch of things, and I was very, very active in the Glee fandom on Tumblr between 2010 and 2011 until I gave up shortly before the third season. Um, (laughs) I think other people maybe made it a little further than I did, but I was certainly very involved for those first two years. Um, And they were really formative years. So I'm excited to be talking about them with you, Allegra. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Um, So first off, you know, just just looking at it generally, like uh, Tumblr, when did you first join? Why did you first join? How did did you find the site? What what drew you to it? Okay, so I vividly remember it would have been January of 2010. um, And I joined the site um, with my best friend, Steph, um, because we were both huge fans of Glee and we decided to kind of co-run a Glee fan account. Um, and the reason, I think the reason that it was on our radar was, I think I was just Googling anything Glee related multiple times a day. Um, and stuff kept linking back to Tumblr. It seemed like that was really the hub. That was where things were going down. So we started a blog. Um, at that time there was uh, a feature on Tumblr called Tumblarity, which Mm -hmm. is now defunct, but at the time it like ranked your blog compared to all the other blogs on the site in terms of traffic. So we could see, you know, on our third day of running, we had like the 2,634th most popular blog in Canada. And we were like, whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> so see, I, never got, I never got to use Tumblrity. So I, I don't, I love when people are describing it because I have no idea what it was. <laughs> I know. I, that's crazy. They phased, yeah, they phased it out and they said it was coming back, but it never did, which is probably mm-hmm. for the best because... <laughs> right. Um, I can see how it would have gotten out of hand, but yeah, so it was very exciting to us to like see that we were having an impact in that way. Um, and so we, we ran the blog together, which I think was unusual um, at the time and still is. Um, I would, we distinguish ourselves. I would type in regular type and then Steph would bold everything she wrote. And that was how you could tell us apart running it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we Good were typing quirk. That's really, oh my God. Yeah, piping works out. That was pre Homestuck, though. Um, yeah. So that was yeah. a factor. But um, yeah, we were, we were mostly there um, at the beginning and really throughout. We were very focused on Kurt. Um, uh-huh. And we became very active in the Kurt shipping wars of season two, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you remember who the first other blogs you followed were uh, and sort of like who the 
first people, other people on Tumblr that you had like friendships or relationships with were? Right. So I think at first we were just following kind of big fan accounts. Uh-huh. Like back back in the day, kind of the fuck yeah blank right. accounts were very, right. very popular. Yeah. I remember um, my mom looking over my shoulder when I was on the computer once and she saw I was following a blog that said, fuck yeah, Chris and Diana. And I just scrolled past and she gasped. She was like, that's a terrible word. Like, she was freaking out. And I, and I said, oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll unfollow them. And she was like, you were following them? She was so mad. Oh, my God. Like, it's, no, it's just the... But yeah, um, really, I kind of connected with people mostly. It, like, it, it took a minute for me to really, like, form friendships around uh-huh. the, the show and everything. Because I was kind of still in the in the mindset of, you know, stranger danger, don't reveal any personal information right yeah. at the right up top. Um, but eventually, you know, I, I got more into it. And um, I think the turning point was when um, the character of Sam and then the character of um, Blaine arrived. Um, and that really kicked off kind of a, an inter-fandom war um, between wow. fans can you, characters. <laughs> can, you, can you talk a little bit about, about that war uh, as it happened in real time on Tumblr, because this is, it's funny. Cause like, I distinctly remember when the character of Blaine was announced, like I never watched Glee. I was just a huge right. Darren Chris fan. So when it was announced, he was like going to be on like a network television show. Right. I like tried to watch it for him and just completely <laughs> failed. Um, but like, I know that his character like made a huge impact on the fandom Ooh. and on Tumblr. Yeah. So the first friends I really made in the fandom were kind of focused on, um, this relationship between Kurt and Sam. And if you don't remember who Sam was, he was kind of the the blonde jock who came in at the beginning of season two. Uh Um, And the thing was prior to his arrival on the show, um, I think Jane Lynch, who played Sue, the the cheerleading coach, had Mm -hmm. given an interview and she said, oh yeah, they just cast a boyfriend for Kurt. He's blonde. He's got big lips. Um, He's going to be called, like she, she actually said this was the boyfriend character. So a lot of us were kind of anticipating his uh-huh. arrival um and one of the in a, in a couple of the earlier episodes of um season two it sort of hinted at um that he's he's going to be the boyfriend character um uh-huh. explored a little bit there's some controversy because Kurt and Sam want to perform a duet and um Finn intervenes I believe <laughs> it's, it's been so long but you know Finn intervenes because he thinks homophobes will target Sam and Kurt um and then Sam does a a duet with um Diana Agron instead um Uh but then short very shortly afterward um the first episode starring Darren Chris arrived and that was um he was playing the one where he sang Teenage Dream I think it was. I think that was his, oh man! Yeah, so he I was, did. I did watch that one live. I did feel a moral obligation I'm, to to catch that one yes. on the television. And now, initially, yeah, I was also very excited because it was kind of it was supposed to be like a guest arc, um, okay. and he was going yeah. to be like a he was going to be a competitor of the Glee Club, mm-hmm. um, who went to an all boys private school and sang right. with their acapella group, um, mm-hmm. and he was openly gay, and he was going to kind of show Kurt the ropes of being Mm -hmm. openly gay but the thing was Darren Chris had such a passionate fan following at that point I mean I was among them in the early days um Uh (laughs) um, that I think very quickly people 
began fixating on the idea of a, a potential romantic relationship between um, Kurt and Blaine, mm-hmm. um, which resulted in some major story changes, like Kurt transferring schools, um, Sam kind of <laughs> falling by the wayside and not having anything to do and actually getting fired at the end of the season. Um, which, you know, and I was still kind of in the Sam camp and I was unhappy with some of the changes that were being made to the show vis-a-vis Blaine. So mm-hmm. I became part of an irate and very active shipping war <laughs> between oh, yeah. those two characters, which I'm still like a little bitter about to this day, <laughs> like irrationally. So like um, we're, on Tumblr specifically, like were mm-hmm. factions formed and, and, and blogs created to support either side of this of this shipping war? Oh yeah. I mean, the thing was basically... By by the time Blaine really arrived on the scene and as he built up steam, almost everybody was in that camp. Like there, mm-hmm. he was. They were the juggernaut ship. Like they they were on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. I remember. Big, yeah, like I'm sure you. My did. mom bought it for me. I'm like, I yeah, don't like, watch this show, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, they were very popular, and then uh-huh. the people who would um, the people who were pulling for Sam, there were fewer of us so the joke mm-hmm. that we made was that the um Kurt and Blaine were the Titanic and we were on a lifeboat or a canoe so we called <laughs> ourselves the canoe <laughs> um, how many people do you estimate were, were in your little canoe group like it really couldn't have been more than a couple hundred people like it was, uh-huh. <laughs> it was a very very small um faction very vocal very angry um yeah because I think a lot of people like we saw what was happening to Sam as queer erasure. Um, okay. And the specific complaint was that, um, so, you know, Kurt, Kurt was kind of a, he was very into theater and show tunes and, uh-huh. and, you know, pop music and Beyonce. And, um, and then Blaine came along and he had similar interests basically. Um, but Sam was more of a, kind of straight jock type when he came into the show. And I think a lot of us were looking forward to seeing how they would handle that kind of gay character um, and his yeah. coming out arc. And then when that didn't really happen, um, it was a bit frustrating um, for people who'd seen themselves in him. Um, oh, and then there was a third faction, which I forgot about until just this minute, which was Kurt and Karovsky. And Karovsky was the horrible, yeah. homophobe bully who right. like was actually closeted and, um, you know, cornered Kurt in the locker room one day and kissed him without his consent, um, (laughs) which launched another larger faction of shippers um, who wanted to see a redemption arc for that character. But I was always very firmly like, I don't understand why you're shipping him with his bully. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it got heated. There were, (laughs) yeah. What was the, what do you think was like the main sort of like lexicon of, I guess like the ammunition in the ship war, were people making gift sets to support their position? People, were people writing fic? Like I, 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 you know, didn't, don't have firsthand experience, but I imagine lots of long and passion text posts under Reed Moore's. Oh yeah. So it was really these kinds of, um, I I know memes were a really big thing back in the day (laughs) as they are now. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of lot of wars on that front, um, a lot of like really drawn out arguments because this was before you could block people on Tumblr. Oh my Keep god! Keep that in mind. Um, 
<laughs> so it was just all out chaos. Um, and like, I really just kind of a nasty argumentative streak that I haven't even really seen replicated in any fandom since. Um, because I, you know, it was, I think. I don't me, know. I remember yeah. your lame is shit. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say with the possible exception of lame is, but. But no, I think for me and for a lot of other people, um, Glee was kind of something that allowed us to explore queer identity for the first time ever. So uh-huh. everything felt very personal and very tender. Um, and so I think there was a lot of personal investment for that reason. Like I was personally invested in Sam's coming out arc because I saw myself in him. And I'm sure that people who loved Blaine or Karovsky also saw themselves in those characters. And it felt it was easy to take everything as a personal attack, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, and because you were part of a much smaller faction, do you think you felt the need to be that much more outspoken about your views? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it was, it, it really did feel like we were the underdogs in in this battle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially because um, it felt increasingly like, the attention that had previously gone to Kurt was now going more to Blaine and to their relationship. And there was less of a specific focus on that character um, mm-hmm. to the point where there was a, there was a fan fiction called Dalton, um, okay. which got a major, which was extremely, extremely popular, almost to the point where people stopped watching the show, but continued to read Dalton and like cosplay as the characters and write fan fiction about this fan fiction. <laughs> um, That's interesting. What was, what was it about? It was, it was essentially, um, it was just following Kurt as he transferred from the old Glee Club and went to Dalton. And she, re- this author really fleshed out um, the characters around Kurt and Blaine and gave them unique personalities and kind of just went off on her own tangent. And it was like a alternate universe for what was taking part on Glee, taking uh-huh. place on Glee. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, and again, for people who shipped Kurt with other characters or weren't as invested in the relationship, it felt like. Kurt was no longer the center of attention, which was frustrating. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember, and this is the stuff that I love to dig into, but do you mm-hmm. remember like the specific arcane like memes and phrases and, and, and sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like shibboleths that people would use on Tumblr, like at that time um, to sort of notate their affiliations. Oh yeah. So um, in, so the canoe was a big one. That was kind of our rallying uh-huh. cry, the name for our little shipping cult. Um, right. And the thing was, so Kurt and Sam, the portmanteau, the couple name was come because <laughs> we were very mature. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So one of our, our, our kind of theme song that we adopted was um, that Rihanna song where she goes, no, 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 come on. And it was, <laughs> and this was, back when you could still post copyrighted audio on oh, yeah. Tumblr. So uh-huh. we would make constant audio posts with, you know, like proof of our ship happening in uh-huh. the body and then an unlabeled audio post and you click it in like S&M by Rihanna would blare. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, that was a big one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it got to a point where there was just this kind of like entire obscure like language and um and all these memes building up around these specific positions and people really got entrenched in these different camps mm-hmm. um, and like continued holding these attitudes for years and years. Um, to the, like I was, I was on a first date once um, 
and we we got talking about how we'd both you know been involved in in the Glee fandom back in the day um and she said something about you know shipping Kurt and Blaine and I just knew right then that it wasn't gonna work out (laughs) oh no um even though I have no more obviously no more investment in the show anymore it was just like oh we're like fundamentally (laughs) right I mean do you think that a lot of the the Kurt and Blaine shippers I mean I assume this is the case Mm -hmm. that it was sort of like a foregone conclusion just because of the volume of Darren Chris fans that came in with his casting Mm -hmm. sort of outweighed the people who had been there you know since Jane Lynch said that thing about Sam that had led Mm -hmm. you know a certain number of people to believe that that would be canon Right. Yeah. I think because it wasn't an official announcement, it was just something that she'd said during an interview and evidently wasn't supposed to have said. Um, uh-huh. Like she kind of said the beans early. It didn't get a lot of attention. Whereas Darren Chris um, and a very Potter musical had a huge following um, oh, going yeah. to disappearance on the show. And I think originally it had just been like a two or three episode guest arc that he was going to uh-huh. appear in. But just the sheer enthusiasm, um, I think led the led the writers to kind of reassess for the back half what they wanted to do and it seemed like a no-brainer like people are very invested in Darren Chris and not as much invested in this other guy we hired so let's steer us down let's steer him down this path instead um right yeah and I I mean I can see why yeah as an objective adult why they have made that choice but right Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, it's interesting to think about, you know, other other fandoms that are in this position where, like, you know, mm-hmm. you become attached to a character and then the groundswell support for somebody else introduced totally pushes, like, you know, your favorite to the wayside. I feel like that happens mm-hmm. a lot, honestly. Oh, yeah. On Tumblr, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you joined and you were running a blog with, with someone else, when did you get, you know, your first independent Just You blog? Was that not until after Glee? Yeah, that was sort of... Um... So Steph and I were both heading off to college um, Mm -hmm. and neither of us were really that invested in Glee anymore. And it kind of felt like a natural move for us to start maintaining personal blogs. Mm -hmm. Um, So we maintained our co-blog for a little while. Um, We actually got, but we actually got ghost noted. I don't know if you remember. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. The blog would like glitch out and people couldn't see your notes anymore, right? That's right. They just couldn't get notifications from you, which was very inconvenient. Um, uh-huh. And that I believe that was actually because we'd or I had sent. <laughs> oh my god! I'd sent like a nasty message to David Carp, um, <laughs> and shortly thereafter, we were ghost noted. And I really think that was why. <laughs> oh um, was the nasty message about Glee? It, it probably was. I don't remember the exact substance, but I just knew. <laughs> um, anyway, so basically the account wasn't really functional anymore. Um, we maintained it for mm-hmm. a little while, but we were sort of more absorbed by the independent blogs we were running. And then I um, got bored of Glee and started blogging about other things and getting into bigger fights in, for instance, the Les Mis fandom. <laughs> but, um, Homestuck was first and then Les Mis, right? Yes. <laughs> That's that's the order. So it's of just a, con- a continuity of sheer Tumblr anger. I love it. That is that is pretty much it. Um, um, but did you sort of observe? Did you observe the Glee fandom sort of like continuing on its way without without participating in it as much in in that transitional period? 
I did, and I think I did in the way that a lot of other people did, which was to just read about what happened on the show and get really mad about it. <laughs> like at a certain point, and certainly in the later seasons, most of the discourse around Glee was coming from people who had once been fans and were no longer fans and were just angry about what was happening. Um, right. I mean, one thing that really stands out was that um, early on in, in season three, they did an episode where um, a couple of characters, including Kurt, um, like lost their virginity. Uh -huh. um, and there was a scene in that episode where um, Blaine and Kurt kind of go to a gay bar and they're driving home afterwards and Blaine has been drinking and he like comes on to Kurt and starts trying to like initiate something with Kurt and Kurt is kind of swatting him away and saying, no, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and which is, I mean, it really... Like, like, I mean, frankly, like it was a sexual assault, um, but within the show that was never really addressed and it was just kind of written off as, you know, Blaine being drunk and embarrassing. Kurt actually apologized for his behavior in that scene, which I found really um, unfortunate as a writing decision. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of, that definitely marked a turning point where I felt like my anger at what was going on with Kurt and Blaine, like went beyond just petty shipping stuff. Like it really felt right. like the writers were not handling it correctly. Yeah. I mean, was that an episode that you watched live or was that something you, you had read about after you stopped watching the show? Yeah, no, I never I never saw the episode. I just read discourse about it. Um, right. I mean, um, it, frankly, yeah, it was it did seem like triggering. Um, right. The only episode I watched um, after season two was the episode where Kurt and Blaine break up. Like I tuned in live. I had to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Vindication. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so like Tumblr, Tumblr as in the, in the larger sense, Tumblr is sort of a delivery mechanism for content that you never actually experience firsthand mm -hmm. as an interesting phenomenon. Like I know that mm -hmm. I, yeah. you know, for so much of the mm -hmm. fandoms that have come and gone, I just, you know, purely perceive that secondhand. Mm -hmm. um, other than, you know, the later seasons of Glee, what were some other things that you were sort of like uh, into uh, in the second degree just from posts on Tumblr? Oh, um, Game of Thrones was a big <laughs> one. Um <laughs> I never, I know I could never really get into watching it, but I, it was very fun to watch people engaging with it secondhand. Um, right. I also feel like I know everything that happened on Doctor Who Ooh. and everything that happened on Supernatural just <laughs> by osmosis. Yeah. Um, Misfits was another big one back then. Sherlock. Um, All shows I, I actually watched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch Sherlock, um, and a lot of my fans from Glee kind of moved on to Sherlock. It never really stuck for me in mm -hmm. a big way, which is probably for the good of society. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned a lot of your followers from Glee moving mm -hmm. on to other things. So do you, was there like a sort of switcheroo at that time in between seasons two and three when you saw a lot of people moving away and a bunch of new people taking their place in, in the fandom? Um, I don't. I don't know if new people were taking their place. Like I think people just left. <laughs> the uh -huh. show got less popular. Because um, I mean that was really the peak of Glee's popularity. Like they went out and did national tours. There was a 3D concert film, uh -huh. and it kind of petered off from there. Um, uh -huh. But I think Def Sherlock was. It began airing around that time. I literally watched it live on an illegal live stream of the BBC at like <laughs> noon in Chicago the day the first episode aired. This was yep. July 2010. Yeah. So it seemed like, especially for people who were frustrated with how Glee was handling like the LGBT content, a lot of people joined the Sherlock fandom and started writing really hard for Sherlock and John, which 
also right. did not pan out well. Well, yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, maybe people were, were feeling that it was better to just know that you're being queer baited than to like think you're actually going to get something and not get it. I don't know. That that could be part of it. I feel like there's definitely people for whom that was the case. I had a lot mm-hmm. of friends who were like deeply, deeply convinced um, that the show was going to make it canon. Um, I could do a whole episode on that. I'm sure you will. At some I'm point. sure I will um, too. Yeah, and um, but yeah, mm-hmm. did 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 you get people? You know, you know, after you started your personal blog on Tumblr, mm-hmm. and people knew you as someone who'd been a Glee blogger. Did people mm-hmm. keep coming directly to you for you know asking your opinion on stuff that was happening on a show that you weren't watching anymore? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I was, I was not actively watching the show, but I was definitely for a little while at least, like part of the conversations that were happening around it. And I was staying updated on things that people were talking about and caring about and the development of certain relationships. Um, I, I, the fan, the friends I had who did continue watching it were more invested mm-hmm. in um, Britanna and Faberi. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think at least for a little while um, they delivered those relationships in a more satisfying way than what they'd been doing with them. Um, Kurt and Blaine right although they there was a fair bit of queer baiting there as well <laughs> yeah yeah um I mean do you th- it was that sort of like uh, I guess like like second level continuation that was something that was probably like afforded by just the mechanics mm-hmm. of Tumblr and the way that you could just like watch people go about their fandom business and in, in that, in that mm-hmm. public way and, and and receive these gift sets and receive these recaps exactly yeah like I was I was staying up to date on you know, 10 or 15 shows that I wasn't watching and would never watch, but <laughs> probably was, taking up yeah. the same amount of time that it would take to actually watch mm-hmm. them. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes that was just enough. And I was never curious about pursuing it further because I was, I felt like I was getting everything already. Um, right. And I think the only instance where it just really was not clear to me what was going on. And I felt like this was something I had to experience for myself was Homestuck. Oh yeah. <laughs> because we've all been there. Yeah, it's just inscrutable from the outside. Like you really and from to. the inside, and from the <laughs> you gotta give oh, it that. I will. I'll talk to people who read it, and they will have just had like completely different reading experiences to the point where I don't. I don't know if we read the same thing. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a complete urtext. It's 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 oh, yeah. it's very dynamic. I that's again another episode. Um. So so with Glee, was that. Uh, I, it's so funny that you mentioned that you were Googling stuff and that's how you found mm-hmm. Tumblr because that's also how I found Tumblr when I was Googling Doctor Who stuff and all mm-hmm. of these David Tennant focused Tumblr blogs kept popping up and I decided I had to make an account so I could follow right. them. I okay. feel like that must be the most in the early days of Tumblr, especially must have been a, a common entry. Oh, yeah. I mean, they certainly that was kind of I guess that was their SEO strategy really was to right. just make sure that anything you googled would lead you back to tumblr in a hundred different ways like it seemed like this was really the hub of where everything was happening um and that's i mean obviously that's it seems like now the the main hub for fandom is twitter um twitter and instagram but none of those are particularly seo friendly which i think is really interesting yeah i also don't know instagram in particular is is such a black box and i I, I think that it has mm -hmm. a completely different entry strategy than than tumblr Right. Um, and I think I, like, I've never been active on Instagram. It just, it just like, it doesn't seem compatible with like the way I use social media. Like it's very hard to mm-hmm. archive things and like link mm-hmm. between posts. Um, yeah. And I, like, I think often like 
to its detriment. Cause like I read about things happening on Instagram and like timestamps being unavailable and it being unclear to like verify whether something actually happened at all. Whereas with a platform like Twitter, it's a lot easier to confirm in that respect. But anyway, we're getting right. off topic. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I think this is completely on topic, you know, insofar as I love to talk about, you know, social media affordances of social media and the way that Tumblr, you know, distinguished itself from not only social media that was around when it was when it was launched and created in the late, you know, 2000s, but the social media that, that's around now that has taken some parts from it, but not others. Right, right. So I, I mean, in the case of in the case of Twitter, some things are similar. Like I, 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 on the last episode I recorded with my friend Sam, she mentioned how she, it's possible that Tumblr was one of the first services to offer, you know, a reblog, um, which Twitter then adopted right. as, mm-hmm. as as the retweet. Instagram still doesn't have that functionality, which I think really makes it less useful for that specific oh, kind of of fandom discourse mm-hmm. with w- with the going in the back and the forth, which is really mm-hmm. important. Yeah, it's it's impossible to have conversations on Instagram, as right. far as I can tell. Um, and the other thing is, like, Instagram is very, you know, obviously very photo focused. But I think what was unique about Tumblr was that it was from its very beginning and built into the platform. It was like a place for multimedia. It was a place for fan videos, for fan art, for fan fiction, like any any, even just you know low effort text posts and memes were also things that it facilitated. Like it was very easy to like take whatever fan art or like whatever contribution you wanted to bring and put it on Tumblr. Um, Absolutely. mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I think that on Twitter and on Instagram, people are finding ways around the restrictions Mm -hmm. of the platform, like screenshotting notes, posts for longer texts on Twitter and Mm -hmm. placeholder images on Instagram when really all you want to do is write something um, right. But, you know, those are both workarounds. And, and at its heart, Tumblr, yeah, like was a place mm-hmm. for multimedia. And I think that made it friendly and appealing to like a larger number of people. Like it didn't matter if you couldn't draw or, or do Photoshop or whatever, you could still go on Tumblr and write, but vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's not something you can necessarily do with like a, a character limit that Twitter yeah, has. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Did um on your what 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 sort of content did you post on your initial fan blog? Yeah, so was it like original stuff? Oh yeah, I mean, actually, initially, I mean, I can't draw for shit, <laughs> <laughs> so I was never a fan artist. I wrote a little bit of fan fiction, but that was never uh-huh. my major contribution. I mean, for the most part, I was just having fun and contribute and consuming what other people were making and having opinions about it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> like really, the the attraction at a certain point was for like for the friendships that I was making um, right. more than anything else. Yeah. Um, so you were, you were, you were reblogging a lot. You were, you were doing a lot of commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just that and just being an active part of the community more than anything else. Yeah. Do you, do you remember like who, who the BNFs were at the time and, and what your opinions were of them? <laughs> Is that something you want to talk about? Yeah. It's, there's actually a, the, one of the, the biggest fans of Blaine was this girl, Raven Claudia. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and we had just constant, constant fights with, with this girl all the time. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember like the specific content of those fights, but she was like public enemy number one among my friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and after the second season of Glee, when the actor who was playing Sam was let go, we launched a campaign to rehire him for the show. Um, uh-huh. 
And Raven Claudia, like, contributed to the campaign and was like, we need to get this actor back on the show. You know, like, I hate you guys, but, (laughs) like, it's not fair. (laughs) And... And the analogy we we were passing around at the time was like, Raven Claudia is like the minor act one antagonist who comes like riding over the hill in the third act to like ally with you. Oh, I love that. Um, And now like Claudia and I are actually like good friends in Twitter mutuals, like even after all that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How did did the campaign go? Did it work? Yeah. Like he got rehired. Um, Oh my God. I I love it. (laughs) We brought him back and... He dated every girl in the Glee Club. He just kind of passed around. Um, and I don't really know much about what his role was beyond that, even though I fought very hard for him to stay. But uh huh, uh huh. You that's, know, I, I, I love that. That's a really heart, that's a really heartwarming story. Yeah. It was um, called uh, "Don't Cut the Cord." If you want to go Google it, because okay, that's um, that's his name. Remnants of the campaign are probably still online. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> You know, if you if you take a look back at at the posts from that time, which like I don't know if you've mm-hmm. done, you know what 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 differentiated the Glee fandom on Tumblr from from the Glee fandom elsewhere on the internet? If you're able to speak on that at all, yeah. So I was only ever really I was active on Live Journal for a little while um, mm-hmm. and active on Tumblr. So those are kind of the points of comparison that I have. Um, right. I think Live Journal fandom is interesting because it was like very much text-based and like long text-based um and it was more than anything just a platform for fan fiction and really long naughty essays and meta and arguments um Mm -hmm. and I didn't see as much of that on Tumblr just because it lends itself more to a shorter format um yeah but you know it's I I remain like really sad that so much of live journal has just disintegrated (laughs) because it was a really interesting outlet for a lot of fan culture um and it's just kind of deteriorated with the slow decay of the internet all right i mean I, and i think yeah. tumblr is going the same way i mean it, it seems yep. to be sort of sadly inevitable and that's why i'm doing this podcast so i can you know record memories of of, hmm. of what it was like at its peak i mean i do think i mean what what do you think you know when when tumblr's peak was because i you know in the context of this project I'm sort of mm-hmm. looking at 2010 2011 and 2012 as this sort of like incredibly fertile mm-hmm. era but you know what do you think yeah I think that would have to be the peak um <laughs> really of tumblr's both of like tumblr's activity and of its cultural relevance um yeah absolutely like I mean like first of all just going back to what you said about just the decay of the internet and archiving you, I mean you told uh-huh. me to look up my blog on um the Wayback Machine and I did right and there were yeah. only like five or six snapshots yeah um and the rest of it is all just lost to time like thousands and thousands of posts um mm-hmm. and there was also you know there was that that period around I think it was the end of 2014 beginning of 2015 where they purged a bunch of a bunch of blogs and like we were victims yeah. of that we also lost yeah. like <laughs> thousands I got, thousands of posts I got yeah. a I got a download of all my mm-hmm. posts but it, it didn't include yeah. reblogs or asks so it was sort of functionally useless yeah um, I, I don't know I, if you experienced the same mm-hmm. thing I yeah I also got an archive but it was I couldn't figure out how to actually like operate it or get anything oh, I, back from it which I was frustrating I think around 2010 2011 2012 like there were people getting book deals from tumblr oh, like yeah. there were single subject tumblers that were like wildly popular and were mm-hmm. 
being turned into published projects. Um, and it seemed like as Twitter ascended, that kind of became the go-to place for that sort of content, the stuff that had been getting people attention on Tumblr. Um, and it became increasingly difficult for anything that was posted on Tumblr to make it outside of Tumblr. Like right. Tumblr became a very cloistered ecosystem in that regard. Right. Um, yeah, there was a moment there when it sort mm -hmm. of, you know, had an interface with the outside world, the IRL, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that um, didn't happen. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> for whatever reason, I don't I, I don't know exactly why. Um, I think maybe because it like increasingly became a haven for um, like LGBT people and mm -hmm. the discourse and it kind of developed a reputation for being like a hub of like oversensitivity, like justifiably or not. Yeah. Um, I think, and, yeah, as the yeah. site became mm -hmm. less of just a, and like a blogging platform, like any other mm -hmm. and more of a, a community okay. with its own subcultural signifiers that people right. were less, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, excited about? I don't know. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think, actually, and another big one is probably just that, like, Instagram was launched right. um, around that time and probably stole a bunch of people who had just been using Tumblr for pretty pictures. Absolutely. Um, I think I think that's, I mean, if you re recall the fandom blogs mm -hmm. versus aesthetic blogs war of, you know, 2010, oh, yes. 2011. <laughs> I think all those people that weren't mm -hmm. on there blogging about Glee or Homestuck or whatever mm -hmm. just jumped to Instagram. Yeah. Um, and then I think another thing is just like the issue of monetization, like both yes. on the user end and the admin end. Like, I don't think Tumblr's ever been able to successfully monetize itself. Um, God bless. And un <laughs> unfortunately, like it's, it's kind of lagged behind in like important updates. Um, mm -hmm. And for a while, it was just like much more difficult to use than Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. Um, yeah. So what you what you end up with is only the really committed people who are just right. you know dead uh, subservient to a site that fucking sucks. That's <laughs> beautiful in its own way. It is kind of you know like there's something charming about like participating in the last social network that is like completely culturally irrelevant where nobody is making money from what they post right um, and i so mm -hmm. i think what differentiates the so-called golden age of tumblr is that mm -hmm. in that moment it was relevant and it did seem mm -hmm. like the next big thing and so there was this energy right. you know maybe this is mm -hmm. only in retrospect maybe i'm making this up but you mm -hmm. know there did seem to be this energy that you were participating in something that was like you were in the culture, you were part of something. Yes. And then that faded out um, or it became replaced by something that was less beholden to corporate interests. Um, right. <laughs> like for and a while, just, yeah, yeah, the biggest thing on Tumblr was Homestuck, which was a very anti-commercial phenomenon. Completely um, unable yeah. to be commercialized. I mean, God knows oh, yeah. they tried. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it just <laughs> never took off. Yeah. And also, uh, the beginning of this decade was a very transitional period in social media at large when you were right. moving from yeah. the old live journal sort of uh, dispersed mm -hmm. community systems of, of the 2000s to this. I mean, Web 2.0 mm -hmm. is a little earlier. Tumblr is an example of Web 2.0, but sort of you just fully moving into the app ecosystem, fully moving into like, you know, totally wholly unmediated social platforms run by large tech companies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, and so it was not following the trend at that point. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It was not compatible um, with what was making people money or what people wanted from 
Um, right. I mean, Yahoo, Yahoo spent a lot of money on Tumblr. I forget mm-hmm. exactly when or what year, but there certainly was like an investment and a hope that it would be the next big thing. Right. Um, and then it fell off a cliff, <laughs> which is really too I bad. Mean, and I mean, this, um, I, I think we can't, we can't, we'd be remiss if we had this conversation and didn't talk about the recent ban on um, like adult content on Tumblr. Right, um, which is apparently they lost like a hundred million users after that, which I think yeah, is so funny. I, I mean, that's that hasn't been like that's never really been a core part of my Tumblr experience, um, right? To be honest, but I have noticed that like increasingly, like the site is just less active. There are fewer people talking. Um, like there's there's less conversation. Um, it it does seem like people vacated the premises. Um, it, yeah. yeah. And it also, you know, for a while there, especially, you know, when yeah. I was like in high school and like early in college, I was sort of, you know, I remarked to myself, oh, you know, mm-hmm. all, all the kids on Tumblr are still 14. Like that's how old, you know, when you're 14, you just get right. a Tumblr. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. I have noticed that that is becoming less and less the case and oh, no. kids in the lower end of Gen Z are now going straight to Twitter and straight to Instagram and skipping the Tumblr process. So all of the people on Tumblr are sort of like, you know, now they're like 18, 19, 20 up to my exactly. age, up to your yeah. age. I don't think it's a it's a platform for teenagers anymore, like at all. And maybe that was part of why they banned adult content because they were trying to get that back in a way. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but teens didn't come, teens, te- that, that's so backwards because teens c- came to Tumblr for the porn. I know. And that's, that's also frustrating to me because um. Like, I'll be like, teens deserve porn, but like, you know, look at, <laughs> like, where where are kids getting their information about sex? Like, I'm not talking about like sex ed or sex education websites. Yeah. Like, where are they interacting with and learning about sexuality? Um, right. And increasingly, like, it seems like a lot of teenagers' first introduction to sexuality is like through straight up commercial pornography which is like not great for a number of reasons. Right. <laughs> Whereas um, Tumblr's adult content was always more about like body diversity and sexual diversity and um, like deep John and Sherlock doing and, it. <laughs> and John and Sherlock doing it. Exactly. But like, it was, yeah. it was very much like, um, like it, it felt like a safer space to like learn about that stuff and interact with that stuff. than like, I mean, it was more communal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it was really like driven by like LGBT people and by women, right. which is like right. not often the case um, right. if we're talking about other places. Um, I think it's also, I've definitely seen a trend like in recent years, like away from just like any kind of sexual content fandom at all. Um, uh-huh. And that like that predates even like Tumblr's crackdown on that kind of content. But um I'm not, I'm not really. Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there yeah. are constantly conversations being had, mm-hmm. I think, amongst and within communities about the, the, the level mm-hmm. of appropriateness of, of, of certain kinds of content for certain, right. you know, ages of people. I think that those are all, all conversations that are important to have, but those are also conversations. It's hard to have an Instagram because it's hard to have conversations on Instagram publicly. Exactly. So exactly. there's that. Yeah. And like Instagram has always banned adult content, I think. Right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a lot to decry about, quote unquote, the discourse as it evolved on Tumblr to be a sort of like, you know, giant monster eating up everything in its path. But Mm -hmm. Tumblr afforded for active conversations that were viewable and interact, interactable 
by mm-hmm. others. I mean, anybody yeah. could jump in and just give their opinion. And while that sometimes might have been fucking annoying, it is important mm-hmm. because it was it was de- democratic, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think definitely if they just instituted a proper block function like a year or two earlier, so much could have been avoided. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> because for a while, blocking someone on Tumblr just meant they could still reply to you and interact with you, but you just wouldn't get a notification about it. Which is, <laughs> so fights were still ongoing, but as soon as they, in, they instituted a function where you could block someone from interacting with you, make it impossible to reblog their post, like the conflict yeah. level fell off a cliff. And it's right. like, guys, why didn't you just do this like yeah. a million years ago? Um, yeah. So I think, so, yeah, a yeah. lot of it was just like administrative failure. Uh-huh. Not let it get that bad. Um, yeah. That and just like a real failure to moderate um which I I mean I I don't know what to attribute that to but like I know there are still like a lot of Nazi blogs active on Tumblr um Mm -hmm. and it was only recently like when they got banned from the app store um like for allegedly for having child pornography on the platform like a lot of people noticed that like overnight a lot of like notorious like child porn blogs were like deleted overnight um, it was like, okay, yeah. so like you knew who these people were. You always had the power to do this. Why did it take this long to get rid of it and make your platform safer? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so <laughs> just g- going back to our original topic, I think for, for my last question, mm-hmm. um, I just want to ask, um, you know, what were, what were some of the things that the Glee fandom and Tumblr specifically mm-hmm. when you first joined, what were the sort of like, I mean, maybe like the life lessons that you learned mm-hmm. first there before anywhere else you know that that maybe Mm -hmm. changed you permanently yeah well I think like there's an obvious answer here which is that like I was like an evangelical Christian kid whose entire social life consisted of going to church so like Uh I didn't know any gay people (laughs) um and I was like aware deep down that there was something like different about me but I never really acknowledged it and like so being active on tumblr and like being in the glee fandom and just interacting with other LGBT people so much and interacting with like a show that was like deeply, deeply about gay themes like that. It was, it was kind of an awakening for me and it still took me a while to really figure everything out and put all the pieces together. But like, it felt like a safe environment to kind of like undo some of the indoctrination that I'd grown up with. Um, yeah. So I always be very grateful for Tumblr, no matter what um, no matter how crappy it gets, but like that was, you know, and, you know, even if Glee fell off a cliff, like, I owe a lot to Glee in that that moment in the culture. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. It was a me, moment. Yeah. For giving me, like, a safe place to, like, investigate these things and, like, talk to other LGBT people and, like, unlearn what I'd grown up with. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. that's, I think that's really wonderful. Um, so thank you so much, Peyton, for coming on the Ask Box right. and talking about Glee and Tumblr with me. Um, yeah. The Ask Box theme song is full screen by Adult Mom. Find us on Twitter at The Ask Box and please subscribe via Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. See you next week for a deep dive into early Sherlock fandom. Thanks for listening. Must be satisfied.